you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the Sticks presented by the Ford F-Series. It's our Sunday slash Monday podcast with our 10 takeaways from Sunday's action and Buck, man, it was uh, kind of difficult narrowing it down to just ten this week. Man, we had a lot going on, a lot of bad weather, uh, some some interesting games to say the least. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. It was a really uh, fun field weekend, fun field Sunday. Um, we didn't have the full slate of games, but the games that we had were exciting. But weather did certainly play a part, and didn't see necessarily the explosive offenses that we're accustomed to seeing. But um, I think there's some teams that continue to separate themselves from the pretenders that are emerging as contenders, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in our 10-takeaway segment. Well, why don't you get us started here? What's uh, what's the first one? Uh, coming off the Sunday night game, do the Steelers need Martavis? Then in the shotgun stands in his end zone with two protectors. He's back. He waits. He fires down the field, and it's caught on a dead run. That is Juju Smith-Schuster. Foot race, 35-30, 25-20, 15-10. Pittsburgh Steelers touchdown. 98 yards. You know, you, there was a lot of conversation this week about Martavis Bryant and what the Steelers need to have him, what, what, what he needs to do on that offense in terms of the role that he plays. But, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster continues to be a guy that is a big-time playmaker for them. And even though they're different stylistically in terms of how they play, Juju Smith-Schuster is emerging as a big play receiver and someone who definitely deserves to have the ball go his way. You buy into this, Buck, with the fact that Ben's a little bit older. Even that, that's, that's a 97-yard touchdown, but it wasn't like that, that ball traveled 60 yards in the air. It was, it was more of a catch-and-run there by Juju Smith-Schuster. But do you buy maybe with Ben where his skill set is at this age that with Martavis Bryant? I mean, they can't really fully utilize him the way that he should as a, as a big-time vertical threat. Yes, I do buy into that. When you look at the next-gen stats, it suggests that Big Ben is not the deep ball thrower um, that he once was. He's only completing maybe 33% of his deep balls. 
uh, according to the Next Gen stats prior to this game, and he's 0 for 4 with connecting to Martavis Bryant on deep balls when he's wide open. That means like three yards or more uh, separation between he and the nearest defender. And so Martavis Bryant is still one of the most prolific big play receivers in the game, uh, 15 touchdowns in 21 career games. The problem is Big Ben can't push the ball down the field like you would like to see when you have a guy like that. So, yeah, I mean, you still need to have Martavis on the field because he does command attention, but – I just don't know if Big Ben can get the ball to him at this stage of his career, and I think it's one of the things that is showing Big Ben's signs of decline and deterioration. Yeah, this to me is a challenge because I I just look because of the situation with Ben and his skill set right now and how they're using Juju Smith-Schuster kind of working in the more in the middle of the field, the intermediate area. I mean, I, I try to make an argument, okay, maybe, maybe they don't need Martavis Bryant, but I, I mean, if I'm going to look at it from your side of things, you're saying even – Maybe even if you have Martavis, even if you're not connecting, just having some of that vertical stretch will, will help out. His presence will help out some of these other dudes because I think we both agree on the fact that uh, not a great match in terms of the connections and the production you're going to get with him in this offense. No, not a great match in terms of like what Big Ben does really, really well now. But I think what you're looking towards is when they get into those games in the playoffs, if they have to match up with the New England Patriots, you want to make sure that you have the full repertoire um, – of things available. You want all the ammunition and weaponry that you can have. And Martavis gives them a deep ball stretch guy. So when you do decide to take away Antonio Brown by double teaming him or you load the box with Levy and Bell, I don't know if Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be able to consistently deliver the, the big play production, but I do know that there's a track record of that kind of production for Martavis Bryant. So I would like to just have him in the fold just for those moments in the playoffs. Yeah, and the Lions uh, come up a little bit short in this, sitting at three and four. A little bit disappointing right now. One and three at home for the Lions, not getting it done uh, there on the home field. All right, let's move on to takeaway number two. And this was no question, this was the game of the day, maybe even the game of the season. Up in Seattle, yeah, Deshaun Watson going up there to take on Russell Wilson, and this was a battle to the finish. Wilson back to pass, throwing over the middle. Buck, this, I mean, this was unbelievable. It was great quarterback play in this game. We talk about some of the ugly offense we've seen this year. And I know you can look at the turnovers that Deshaun Watson had in this game, one of which was a, you know, a really kind of a Hail Mary attempt at the end of the game. But uh, I thought the way he performed in that environment exceeded my expectations. He was outstanding, uh, rare what he was able to do in this contest. And then Russell Wilson, I kind of think is the forgotten quarterback in the league. When all we, we're talking about this young wave of quarterbacks and then we talk about the old veterans, it seems like Russell Wilson kind of gets caught in between those two groups and doesn't get the, the just do uh, that he deserves. But 452 yards, four touches, uh, he was outstanding in this one, including that touchdown you just heard of Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a very, very interesting game, and I think it kind of signals the wave of the future of the quarterback position in terms of stylistically how these guys may look. Uh, we'll get to Russell Wilson, but Deshaun Watson being able to take on the Legion of Boom. This is a team and a secondary that for years has made young quarterbacks crumble under the weight of having to deal with that sticky coverage on the outside, but he handled it, and they had big games and big plays. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, 224 yards, Will Fuller, 125 yards. They were able to push the ball down the field. They made the plays that needed to be made. And I know he finishes with three interceptions, and I think some of that obviously is due to the inexperience. But I don't think you can come away from that game feeling bad about Deshaun Watson. 
I think for me, I am more impressed with him each time I see him step onto the field. And I think there's something to be said for his ability to play in big games really translated well to his ability to continue to play on the big stage in the pros. Yeah, I mean, he just keeps elevating his game. I mean, he's we talked about coming into this game, the key being his poise, and I thought that was on display once again. Uh, you know, another thing too, man, however fast you think Will Fuller is, he's faster. Uh, go ahead and back <laughs> up a little bit. He has five for a buck, 25, two touchdowns. It wasn't even the star of the day in the receiving core. DeAndre Hopkins went for eight for 224. Buck, he was he was phenomenal. All the drama, you know, that was taking place this week in Houston with the owners' comments and and all they had to deal with. They showed up focused. They showed up dialed in. They did not leave with a victory. But man, I came away impressed with this Houston Texans team. Very impressed with the team. I think Bill O'Brien is in a really a fantastic job of building this offense around Deshaun Watson. I think the young guy has really um, taken his game up a notch. And I think what you see is when you have a quarterback, it really energizes the entire team. I think their defense plays better because they believe they have a chance. Whenever that quarterback gives you hope that no matter what happens, good game, bad game, if we just give him the ball with one other opportunity to score, he can find a way to put the ball in the end zone. I think that's what the Texans have. And because of that, they can be a team that you have to deal with and contend with down the stretch because he is playing so well that I think the team is feeding off of that energy. Last couple things here on this ball game, um, man. Both quarterbacks led their teams in rushing, which was impressive. Deshaun Watson going for 67 yards. Russell Wilson had 30. Uh, Tyler Lockett did his thing. Paul Richardson, man, it's been fun to see him kind of come on and develop and turn into the guy we saw at Colorado that got us so excited. Uh, another one of those Sarah products that I sure I'm sure you saw him in high school, didn't you, Buck? You know, he had just left when, when I got there. But, look, he continues to be a guy that amazes me in terms of coming off the multiple ACL injuries. He has given them the replacement to Jermaine Curse. what they lost from Jermaine Curse, like they've gotten in leaps and bounds in terms of Paul Richardson. They continue to be a team that they have to lean on the passing game. You would like to see him be able to run better because you don't want to necessarily have Russell Wilson leading the team in rushing. But the Seattle Seahawks have found their groove, and they found it because they're a pass-first team. And it's not the style that Pete Carroll wants to play, but they have to play because that's just what the strength of their team is. Three rushing yards. That's got to get better. Three rushing yards outside of Russell Wilson from the running back court. That's not, that's not really good. No. <laughs> no, yeah, that's uh, less than ideal. Very lopsided, but they found a way to get the win. So big win at home for the Seahawks. All right, Buck, what's number three on the list? The Saints are legit contenders in the NFC. Drops, looks, guns it downfield, and it's intercepted. The Saints have picked it off. Let's Coming back to the Let's 35. Down. Get down. down, Lattimore. He doesn't go down easily, but he does go down now. Man, the New Orleans Saints are on a five-game winning streak. They are playing lights out on both sides of the ball. Their offense continues to be efficient. They found a way to get the, the one-two running back punch in terms of Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. They are up and running. And then defensively, the three guys that are playing really well for them, Cam Jordan, Kenny Vaccaro, and Marshawn Lattimore, that defense is playing at a high level, doing a great job of keeping the score down when they run onto the field. Yeah, I mean, look, the uh, all the investments they've made on the defensive side of the ball, you're starting to see them all pay off for this football team, playing a lot of young guys. Although my my favorite play of the day, we talk, we showed this play, I don't know, a million times on Game Day Live, was our guy Marcus Williams, who I believe is nicknamed <laughs> Baby Magic, coming out of Utah, who we both talked about all throughout the draft. We loved him as a football player. 
But, Buck, he ran side by side. Who was he running with for like 45, 50 yards? Jordan it Howard. Was Jordan Howard, right? Jordan right? Howard, yeah. DJ, he was trying to make sure he had a good angle. Pursuit drill. <laughs> You keep trying to sell me. You keep trying to sell me on this. On. He's just trying to make sure he has a good angle. I mean, he could have reached out and held his hand for thirty yards of that fifty-yard run. On. He's just trying to do his do his deal. <laughs> He's trying his best. We had a good laugh. We had a good laugh on game day live uh, with that run. But look, the Saints, all the young defensive players stepping up. We talked on last week's pod about Ted Ginn Jr. in the. Uh, uh, the beautiful role that he plays for this team, filling that speed receiver role. Michael Tom, Michael Thomas again, seven grabs. He's been consistent for them. Uh, if you flip over to the Bears, Jordan Howard, courtesy of that 50-yard run, had 102 yards rushing. But Trubisky, 53 yards rushing, 46-yarder uh, uh, to go along with that. There, passing wise, they let him chuck it a little bit more. Buck 14 for 32 for a buck 64. Some drops had a, a brutal uh, touchdown called back after a gruesome injury to his tight end. But, uh, man, I thought overall, Trubisky, even though they didn't win, they only scored 12 points. I did see some good things from him today. Yeah, he did some pretty good things. I think they continue to try and extend the playbook. I, I think the big thing with Trubisky, he doesn't have enough people on the outside to really threaten the entire field. And when you don't have those weapons available to you, it just kind of makes it difficult to really see what the young guy can do. Unlike Deshaun Watson, who has Pro Bowl players on the outside, has speed receivers, they've committed a lot of capital to those guys. The Bears don't have that at this time. So they're kind of trying to spoon-feed him um, a little experience without those things. But I think we have seen enough flashes to kind of feel good about his progress and where he could be in a year or two down the line. All right, let me just get you with one question before we move on to the next one. Let's just say right now the Eagles have the best record in the NFC. We'll get down to them in a minute. But neutral field, tomorrow they meet uh, Philadelphia Eagles, New Orleans Saints. Who wins that game? I think the Eagles are more complete because they can rush the passer. I think their front line, their front four – uh, you talk about front four, they play eight men up, up in that defensive line rotation. I think that gives them the edge. I think it's a competitive game because the strengths of the Saints kind of works against the liabilities of the Eagles, particularly on the outside. I think it will be a very, very competitive game, but I think the Eagles will have it, particularly if they're playing at home. Yeah, it could be on, in a collision course here in the NFC. All right, let's move on here to the next one. And uh, this one, man, an oldie but a goodie, Tom Brady, his poise, it's ridiculous. Brady with a play fake to Gillisley, stands in the pocket, throws it left, rock all alone. Touchdown, Patriots! Oh, that's the best spike of the year! Little Gronk spike there, touchdown for the Patriots. They go on to beat the Los Angeles Chargers in kind of an ugly game, 21-13. But Tom Brady, very efficient, 333 yards, 32-47. To me, Bucky, just watching this game as we're covering it on game day live, just so many different examples of him being able to maneuver within the pocket just his feel his presence and his poise you you heard that touchdown call to Gronk being patient letting that develop on a little drag coming across the field he's just I don't know how to explain it it's just it's teaching tape for quarterbacks to be able to slow your heart rate down and to be calm and poised in the midst of chaos and they had a lot of heat coming at him with this charger front yeah they did have a lot of heat coming at him and Tom Brady's just the best at just being able to kind of understand and play the game from the neck up. He slows the game down. He makes it really, really easy in terms of watching it. You can tell that the game is pretty easy for him. He just takes what the defense gives him. He doesn't spend a lot of time staying on his reads. He understands what they're trying to take away, and he is not going to take a lot of unnecessary hits. And because he can stretch the field horizontally and vertically, the defense is always at his mercy. I think he has mastered 
the quarterback position. And because of that, you will see him continue to play well until he decides to walk away from the game, which is here, appears to be 45, 46 years of age. Yeah, I mean, look, they, he targeted six different players six-plus times. So being able to spread the ball around, we always talk about the backs and the tight ends and then Mixon, Hogan, and Cooks, and Amendola. But, man, he just the ball's coming out of his hand. He's just got such a mastery and such an understanding. And it's kind of a ho-hum Patriots season right now. I mean, they have the they get blown out by the Chiefs. They play terrible in that game. They look kind of ugly early on in the season. They have a tough game with the Jets. And then you pick your head up at the halfway mark. They're 6-2 and two and kind of right where we all expected them to be. Yeah, I mean, they're right there. Like, uh, it's not the team that we expected to see, the team that would run roughshod over the league, but it's the team that continues to win games. And as long as you have TB12 there, they're always going to be one of those teams that has a chance to be in a winner's circle at the end of the year. As their defense continues to improve, and if they can somehow find a way to rush the passer, that will give them a chance to go back and be a repeat titleist. But regardless, as long as Tom Brady is able to stay upright in the pocket, the Patriots are going to be the favorite against any team that they face. The only bummer about this is the fact that the Chargers not winning this ball game it keeps us from playing our favorite clip. So like, <laughs> we, we have our favorite clip, and I just I don't think we can play it. No, we can't. They, they didn't win. We'll, we'll <laughs> hold it off until next week. Maybe they get the dub. All right, Matt Money yeah. Smith's call of a Charger win. We'll have to wait for another yep. day. Yep. What's number five on the list, Buck? Atlanta's offense is broken. It lacks an identity. Right-footed punt shot in the air, directionally wobbling to the far side. Hard backpedal retreating and losing the football. The 15 Falcons fall upon it. Curly lost the ball. The Falcons pounce at the 13-yard line. You know, despite getting that turnover, they couldn't finish off the drive with seven, they had to settle for a field goal. And I think it speaks to the lack of identity and the lack of focus that this offense has. They cannot perform in the red zone. They just don't score touchdowns. They're settling for too many threes. And I think in the end of the day, it's going to come back to bite them when it gets critical. Yeah, they can't finish. I mean, they cannot finish drives. And there was horrible weather in this game, and not ideal, no question. Had some, some fumbled uh, exchanges there, quarterback center exchanges with Matt Ryan. But – Bucky, they, they move the ball between the 20s up and down the field. They just can't they can't cash in. They can't finish. And I can't quite put my finger on it. I mean, you see a drop by Austin Hooper. Should have been a should have been a touchdown uh, or at least a, a conversion at one point in that game. You see uh, just no separation at times. You see Matt Ryan missing folks. You, you see a lack of physicality when they need it. it. Just it's it's a bunch of different things, but they can't finish. And they're four and three right now. Uh, but they have got to find a way to finish these drives. They have to find a way to to get it done. Now, I understand uh, Steve Sarkeesian is still coming over. He's still trying to figure out what he has from a personnel standpoint. He is still learning their offense. I know they kept the scheme the same, but it's a different play call. So he's trying to figure out how to put it all together and call it in game and have a rhythm and a flow with the quarterback. And so when I look at this team, it's a team that is still kind of under construction, but I'm hopeful that they can get it done the last quarter of the year because that's when it really, really matters. They're in the race. They're going to be in the race. That offense needs to kind of push them over the hump. And no question. We'll see if they can uh, kind of find themselves a little bit. Tack McKinley, the uh, the rookie first-rounder, had a sack in this one, though, did some good things. As they kind of get a little healthier up front, we'll see uh, how this defense can can come together and finish out the season and show up in the second half, see if they can't find a little rhythm here. That right, schedule let's, uh, let's that schedule, six. That schedule's not getting easy either at Panthers next oh. week Cowboys Seahawks 
Bucks, eh, Vikings, Saints, Bucks against Saints, Panthers. Like that's that's brutal down the stretch for the Falcons. Yeah, well, you don't know what you're going to see from the Buccaneers. They get them twice. Um, it hasn't been a great squad. The Panthers are a little bit Jekyll and Hyde as well. You don't quite know what you're going to get from them either. So we'll see how they see how they battle through it here. Uh, let's keep the train rolling here, though. Number six on the list. In my opinion, I think Mike Zimmer is the coach of the year. Takes the snap, drops back to pass. Has a little bit of time. Steps up in the pocket, throws to the back of the end zone for Rudolph. He's got it high in the air and comes down two feet in. It's a four-yard touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph, and the Vikings now lead it 29-16. What do you think, Buck? Are, you, you get with me on this? I know the Rams and what they've done with Coach McVay get a lot of attention, and, and rightfully so. He's done a great job. But I just look at everything that they've had to endure with his Vikings football team, and to be sitting here at 6-2, and two, uh, you know, I know, look, the Browns are no great shakes. They beat a, a team, a winless team there. But overall, just to get this – this Minnesota Vikings team, they show up and they're ready to play each and every week. Doesn't matter who's on the field. No, they find a way to get it done. And I think the best thing that the Minnesota Vikings have done is shown the football world that you can win this game without necessarily having a franchise quarterback. Uh, your margin for error is a lot of, a little slimmer. Um, you don't have um, the ability to kind of play in an aesthetically pleasing way. But because they have a good defense, because they're productive on special teams, they always have a chance. And Case Keenum is playing pretty good for them. And I think that has been the biggest thing that you can take away from that. Case Keenum has given them a chance because he doesn't turn the ball over. And they're finding a way to kind of piecemeal enough points to give their defense the edge. And they're winning games. So Mike Zimmer has done a great job of keeping it together. And I heard a quote from one of their players where he said, he doesn't even address who's the starting quarterback each week because it doesn't matter. They're going to show up and play. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. They know that they can win. And so if you have that kind of attitude permeating throughout your team, it gives you an opportunity to win a bunch of games. And they definitely are winning a bunch of games at this point. All right, this gets uh, gets me to – this is a back-to-back points on this game. This is kind of a combination one, so I'll, I'll keep it going here with number seven on the takeaway list. And that is uh, this Browns team that just lost to the Vikings, as well as the San Francisco 49ers, Buck. They both stink. Back goes Mostert. He fires, and it's intercepted. Mills down the left side. He cuts back at the 15. He's running across the field. He gets a block. He cuts back. He's in for the touchdown. Jalen Mills, magnificent. Merrill Reese on the call there for the Philadelphia Eagles. A little pick six for Jalen Mills over the San Francisco 49ers. Look, we talk about the Browns here first, Buck, but I do want to point out the fact it seems like when we get in these Ofer discussions, you know, we talk about the Browns and how they haven't won a game and how bad they are, and somehow the Niners kind of escape uh, their company. And very much they've earned their right to belong in that company with the Browns and how bad they've played, especially recently. I know they had some competitive games early. Uh, not so competitive against the Eagles. It's a bad outfit. But uh, just start with Cleveland and, and your takeaways here on this squad right now. Well, I think it obviously has to be disappointing. This is year we thought we would see progress. They've expended a bunch of picks on trying to revamp their roster. And a lot of the attention has been on the quarterback position. But they haven't been able to play well enough in other areas to allow a young quarterback to kind of grow into the role. And so at some point, you have to look at the team and the way the team is being built. You have to look at the coaching staff and kind of figure out why is this a team that can't make gains, they can't win, they've only won one game in however many games that the regime has been there? At some point, you have to figure out, is this plan a doable or workable plan? And right now, based on the results, it doesn't look that way. 
No. What's your What's your thoughts, by the way, on the in season change at, at the coaching spot? I I, I kind of see both sides of it. Okay, you want to get a jump start on your next coach if you're going to make a change. So you make the announcement now, and you can kind of formally start your search. But I also look at it and say, hey, just ride it out. Just get through the season. You're not going to be able to get the guy you want until the season's over anyways. I don't know what, what purpose it really serves to uh, to make that move and to, to shake everything up. You're not going to the playoffs. That ain't happening. No, but I think like I think everything is tied together. I think both um, the coach and the front office are married. And the reason they're married is because they had this plan that they set out on uh, – that they were going to try and do it a different way. And I think both guys have to be connected. And so if you let go of the coach, I think as a front office, you're admitting that you're failing and things aren't going according to plan. I think they have to stay connected together. And at the end of the year, I think Jimmy Haslam has to make a decision on whether he trusts that what they're doing is eventually going to lead to a big payoff. I would say on my side, I don't necessarily see it, but I also understand that, man, when you change so much and you've had so many different general managers and head coaches, it's hard to build a winning team because if you no flip question. it now, you can bring somebody else in and everything changes what they're looking for. So um, I don't think it's an easy decision to make at all. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at this 49ers team switching over to them. Competitive uh, had been in a string of really, really close competitive games, two and three point games right on down the line until the last two weeks. Cowboys beat them 40 to 10, totally dominated them coming off their bye week on the road. And then they go to Philly, lose this game 33 to 10. Um, look, I, he's a rookie. Don't want to make a snap judgment here, but watching that game today, I felt like that was the quarterback in Beathard that I saw at Iowa that I thought was kind of a late round free agent type and definitely did not view him as an NFL starter and man, not, not as a rookie. No, I mean, I think we all saw him. When I saw him at the East-West game, I wasn't overly impressed with what he showed. I did, definitely didn't think that he was a guy that would be a starting quarterback as a rookie. Maybe he would make a team as a backup, be a late-round developmental prospect. You know, Kyle Shanahan saw him as something different. Now, the thing about that, when you have a young quarterback or any quarterback, you got to make sure you surround him with enough playmakers to minimize his deficiencies. And right now, when you look at the roster, particularly on offense, they don't have enough playmakers to mask what C.J. Beathard can and can't do. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's uh, you know, look, they're they're competitive early on. Give them credit. I think you've seen some really really positive signs from their defensive line and their defensive front. They gave the Eagles some fits there in that ball game, but uh, offensively, it's it's a long ways to go there for the 49ers. All right, what's up? What's number eight here, Buck? Shady McCoy makes the Buffalo Bills go. And Tyron hands it off to Shady. He's in the clear. He's going to score. 25, 20, 10. DJ, I think the Buffalo Bills are real, and I think part of the reason they are a real team, a team that is going to be there at the end, and they're going to fight uh, for a playoff berth is because Shady McCoy gives them an identity on offense. No matter what, whenever you're a defensive coordinator and you're making up that plan to stop Buffalo, it has to start with dealing with Shady McCoy. 151 yards on the ground, 27 carries, 48-yard touchdown. His ability to do all things from that running back spot allows the Buffalo Bills to kind of substitute some guys that maybe we say are B, B-plus type players, but they're able to win games because the focal point in Buffalo is the run game and everything else complements that. Yeah, I think you got to give Tyrod Taylor a lot of credit too. I mean, this is a this is a team that's built on let's play great defense, let's get the ball out. 
Uh, let's be able to run the football offensively, and let's, at the quarterback position, protect the ball. So they've got kind of a formula that works. And I think McDermott, it's it's interesting when you look at his background, having spent so much time in Philadelphia, and then you look at his time in Carolina, I know it, it almost sounds like he's trying to get players, like the personality of the team, and from a player standpoint, maybe more so Philadelphia, but stylistically, the way he's playing the game, it, it reminds me more of the Carolina group he was around. Yeah, I think he's trying to get players that kind of fit his identity. He was a guy that was a walk-on player at William & Mary. He's a blue-collar guy. He's a guy that has kind of earned everything that he's gotten. When you look at the guys that are on this team, I don't think it's a coincidence that most of the guys that have played have been cast off misfits, guys that weren't deemed to be really, really good players, but somehow, together, collectively, they found a way to win games. Let's just think about some of the guys that they've traded off. Sammy Watkins was a guy that we thought would be a blue-chip player. Marcel Darius, who was recently let go or traded away on Friday, they found a way to move on without him. The fact that they're winning while subtracting guys that we would grade as blue-chip players says that everyone in that locker room buys into the fact that we are one and we're going to play as a team and we're going to win as a team, and that's what they're doing. No question. All right, let's. Uh, we got two more here, Buck. Why don't you get another one going here, number nine? Cowboys rediscover their winning formula. Going to give it to Elliott right up the middle. He's going to walk the dog. That was almost too easy. Elliott defiantly, hands on hips, looks into the ground, says, I believe that's touchdown, Elliott. You know, say what you want to about the Dallas Cowboys, and I know we kind of poured dirt on them a little bit when they stumbled a little at the beginning of the year, but – Ezekiel Elliott, 33 carries, 150 yards, running the ball, two touchdowns. Uh, if the Dallas Cowboys are able to impose their will on opponents to that nature from an offensive standpoint, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat them with Zeke playing like that. Yeah, and that's the formula. You look at the ball 22 times, running it 39 times, and giving Ezekiel Elliott 33 carries. I mean, that's, uh, that's going to work for them offensively through the air. Really not much to get you all that excited, but uh, – uh, David Irving showing up on defense, making some plays. Demarcus Lawrence continues to have his big year. So this is a this is a football team. I think they're there's somebody. I don't know if they're going to win that division. I think the Eagles have a pretty good handle on it. But man, I don't know if if you want to see the Cowboys come to town on Wild Card Weekend. That's uh, it's a ways away before we get to the postseason. But that would not be an easy that would not be an easy draw for anybody else in the NFC. It won't be an easy draw because the reason we say this is the formula: time of possession, 33 minutes. That's how they want to play. They don't want their defense to be on the field. If they're able to run the ball, dictate the terms on offense, and minimize the number of opportunities that their defense has to try out there, that's the way that they're going to win. They're not going to win because their defense is going to be a shut-them-down defense. It's because they are an opportunistic defense, and they find a way to give their team enough extra opportunities, extra possessions, that the, defense, uh, the offense is able to cash in. Man, no question. We'll see if the, uh, the Cowboys – can't keep it rolling. That's a big win for them. It's a crushing loss for the Redskins. Uh, back-to-back division losses for them. All right, last one on the list here, the 10 takeaways. And this is something we've been talking about a little bit uh, throughout the year, Buck. But when you look at this Colts ball club, this Indianapolis Colts team, uh, Andrew Luck is not the savior. He's not going to be able to save this group. Empty backfield, shotgun snap, the pass, deflected, and intercepted by Carlos Dunlap, and he runs it in for a Cincinnati touchdown. He batted the ball up in the air, snatched it out of the air, and then ran it into the house. Yeah, Buck, I mean, when you watch this ball club, 
I mean, they, they fought against the Bengals. I give Coach Pagano's group credit here. They were competitive and, and fought in this ball game. But, man, they just look they just look overmatched at so many different areas uh, on this roster. It's just it's not a good group. No, it's not a good group. And I know there's a lot been made about Andrew Luck coming back and some of the things that the previous regime had done. But Chris Ballard has his fingerprints on this roster as well. They brought in a lot of guys. They turned over a lot of people. They got draft picks that are playing on the field. They, you know, and this is not a team that is very, very impressive to watch. And so as much as we can talk about Andrew Luck coming back, and that is the reason why they're not in the playoff mix or they're not in the fold, I think they have so many holes on their roster that even if 12 comes back, they're still a team that's going to finish below 500 and not necessarily compete in the, NFC, in the AFC South. Yeah, Buck. I mean, look, I I can't I can't disagree with you. I mean, they had a chance to pick a lot of players last year. They got some guys we really liked. Malik Cooker was playing well till he got hurt. Um, man, I thought Marlon Mack. I want to see him get some more touches. Had 11 carries, only 27 yards in this game, but not running behind a very good group. Did have a touchdown through the air. Uh, but defensively, I just there's there's nobody that really scares you at any level of this defense right now. No impact players. They've got their work cut out for them. My thing is going to be, what, what happens if you're the Indianapolis Colts and uh, say, let's say you make the phone call to Jim Harbaugh. He said, let's assume that Coach Pagano is going to be gone at the end of the year, which I think a lot of people assume will happen. If you're the Indianapolis Colts, even though you just brought in Chris Ballard, general manager, one year in, you've had one draft. If Jim Harbaugh says, I'll come, but I want complete control and I want to be able to hire my own guy. I mean, I have to believe Jim Irsay is going to say, okay, it's, uh, man, that's, that's, I don't, I don't know you say no to Jim Harbaugh in that in that instance. What do you think? Man, that's a tough one because I love what Jim Harbaugh brings to the table. And I love that he already has a connection with Andrew Luck. Um, I think his track record speaks for itself when it comes to the instant turnarounds. I don't know if you're the general manager if you even go down that line of thinking because you know how Jim, Bar- <laughs> Jim Harbaugh thinks and the kind of power and uh, stuff that he's going to want to have over this roster. I think it would come from the owner. I mean, I think that's something that the general manager has no say in. I think that's an owner talking to Jim Harbaugh's representation, and that that takes place, and and Jim Harbaugh would get the the keys to the whole building. I mean, I would think. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's not going to leave unless he gets total power and total control. I'd be shocked if he would. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you, too. I, 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 man, I think that's tough. Well, I think that's one you're the general manager fighting and trying to find any other Ooh. candidate. <laughs> you oh, yeah, let me, hey, let me get my list together. Let me show you. Let me show you. Hey, no, 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 no. Jim, yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, let, me, let me get this guy. How about this coordinator? He's really <laughs> yeah. nice. He really help us out. Yeah, I think, I think that's a tough one. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think it would be interesting because Jim Harbaugh is a special guy in that area. You think about Captain Comeback, uh, what he was able to do there as a player, his connection with Andrew Luck. I think if you start connecting the dots, it's a very sensible decision to bring him in and let him do what he does. I'm with you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what takes place. We already have the uh, University of Florida moving on from their coach. A lot more coaches to go on the college level. That's going to be kind of the first wave that falls, and I think we'll see some of these NFL coaching changes. We'll see a couple guys probably get let go towards the end of the regular season, and then We'll move on to that silly season, and, and who knows what could happen. But uh, just something to file away there on the Colts. All right, Buck, nice work, man. Ten takeaways, uh, nicely done. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Exciting week in football. Looking forward to Monday night tomorrow, big game. Yeah, big game on Monday night. And we also will be right back with you on Tuesday for our podcast recapping a college football weekend as well as some other NFL thoughts from the Monday night game. 
then we'll have our Thursday show, which is a video show as well as an audio show. So a lot coming your way. I got to step in, Buck. I got to come out of the bullpen tomorrow and join our buddy Rhett on the uh, on the aftermath show, which I was not told was a two-hour show until after I'd committed. I feel like it's a bait and switch. Um, I have to get up very early to get up there for the aftermath, but it uh, should be a lot of fun with those guys. But uh, we appreciate you guys checking us out. This has been Move the Six, presented by the Ford F-Series. DJ Bucky, we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings for the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets real steel offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16 2024 see participating retailer for details